This morning we are in the second epistle, the second letter of John, and it's little. As we gather together to feed upon God's word, it is a great thing, it is a blessed thing that we can open God's word and we can hear his voice plainly in scripture. Let's guard our hearts and our minds and may God guard my lips As I bring the word before you this morning, let's bow together. Father, we do come before you and we even now want to submit ourselves to your word. We want to hear your word, not man's word. We want to stand fast on your word, not the whims and wiles of the world. God, we long for the day when... We will see you no longer through a glass darkly, but we will see you face to face. We will see you as he is, O God, that we will see our Lord and Savior with the nail-pierced hands in all of his glory. King of kings and Lord of lords, what a day. And even now, we come, many weary from this world, Many suffering physically, many beset by sin. Oh God, we want to be healed. We long for the day we will be whole. So we beg, even now, do your good work in us. That you would be high and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. The agony of a parent whose child walks in darkness cannot be measured. Similar, the trauma of hearing that a Christian friend has walked away from the faith and is not sure what he believes anymore or has wholesale rejected the God of the Bible. The heartbreak of adulterous relationships, pregnancies outside of marriage, or friends or family members who are suddenly struggling with their biological identity. These pains are very real and they are coming far too often in the church. It has gotten to the point where it seems for many like we're just waiting for the next shoe to drop. What is the next horrible thing that is going to upset our apple cart? By the living word of God, my desire this morning through John's epistle, his second letter, is to turn your heart to joy. Let me turn your head to the good. Let us take a moment to rejoice in those who are walking in accordance with the truth. Before we do that, though, we're going to look in some dark alleys. My hope today is that we would understand what it means to walk according to God's truth. And to take our encouragement from those who are walking in the truth and our encouragement from God's word to ourselves live in that joy of walking in concert with God's truth. Last time, you may not remember 
well, actually two times ago, I started a sermon series back in February on the little Johns, second and third John. They're little. And we're going to preach five sermons from them. The first one was on February 7th. If you want to go back and listen to it, it's on the church website. You can find it there. And all we did was we looked at verses 1, 2, and 3, a, an anchor of truth. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. The world doesn't see the truth that way. The world... To the world, truth is unknowable. Truth depends on you. Demi Lovato was recently doing a podcast where she was <gasps> taken aback and breathtaken by her guest who echoed her truth. She had never heard anybody else speak her truth like it was something in isolation to her and not an objective reality. We understand the God who is truth. We understand that Jesus Christ declared himself to be the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Now that's either absolutely true or it is utterly ridiculous. There is no middle ground. God is truth. He reveals his truth that is that which now corresponds to the reality that he has made. Why was there such a dichotomy? Why does the earth go, uh-uh, and we're going, uh-huh? And it is only by grace, by grace alone. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, Paul writes to that church and says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shown in our hearts. God has opened our eyes. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says, you were dead in your sins. Dead men do nothing. You can't respond. Only in the life that God breathes can we then respond. And this is the truth that John is declaring and emphasizing in his opening to this extraordinary and small letter. So that was last time we anchored on that on February 7th. Here today we're going to look at three whole verses, kind of the middle of this letter, verses 4 through 6. Let me read them for you now. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you are to walk in it. Just a little bit of housekeeping here. The lady 
He speaks of the lady and her elect children. We discussed this last time. He is speaking of a church. He is speaking of a church. We get that contextually from the end in that another lady is sending greetings back to them. He is speaking of a church and her elect children would be the members within the church. And so Paul, or John, excuse me, starts out, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Some of your children. Well, bad news first, by inference, some are not walking in accordance with the truth. Let us not deceive ourselves. Belief is the exception and not the rule. Jesus Christ issued a startling and stark warning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The men last year and the women this year studied and are studying through the book of Hebrews. It is a book that is exhorting the church to keep on. Don't give up because so many do give up and ultimately shipwreck their faith. Paul highlights this in 1 Timothy verse 119 where he talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander who have shipwrecked their faith. Again, the, the implication is, is they were among us. They seemed to be part of the body, but they went out from us and now they are destroyed. This was so, such an urgent thing to Paul himself that in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he, he tells the Corinthian church, I don't want to come become disqualified after preaching to you all. I beat my body to keep it in submission. I run the race so that I may not be disqualified. We have discussed this before here in this church. This is not a lose your salvation thing. This is the appearance of some who appear to have salvation. They appear to be part of the church, but then they walk away. John in his first epistle in chapter 2 and verse 19. He's speaking of antichrists, those who stand opposed to Christ. He says, they went out from us, essentially out from the body, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. More and more we hear of big name Christians, Christian celebrities who are leaving the church. A couple of years ago it was Josh Harris. Uh, recently, one of the founding members of DC Talk, Kevin Smith, goes by K-Max, Kevin Max, uh, now declares himself to be an ex-evangelical. Not an evangelical, an ex-evangelical. He has left the church. But it's not just 
big name celebrities leaving the church. It is churches themselves that are getting wonky in their doctrine. Saddleback Church in California, Rick Warren's church, is now ordaining women. Saddleback Church, you go, okay, whatever, it's culture or that kind of thing. Well, it stands in direct refutation or in direct conflict with 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. And it's a Southern Baptist church, and the Baptist faced the message for the Southern Baptist Convention says that the office of pastor, according to Scripture, is for men and not for women. In a study of North American churches, Canadian professor David Haskell polled these churches and found that 67% of worshipers in progressive churches do not believe in a bodily, flesh and blood resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. 67% do. 67% do, meaning 33% don't believe in a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. You go, man, that's, that's a bummer. What's a bigger bummer is 58% of the clergy, only 58% of the clergy believe in a bodily re- resurrection of Jesus Christ in progressive North American churches. Less than the congregants. For conservative Bible-believing churches, that number is only 83%. Over 80% of worshipers in mainline denominations, uh, Episcopalian, Methodist, Lutheran, 80% of worshipers believe in evolution as God's creation mechanism. The Christian consensus has pretty much vanished across America. For the first time in our nation's history, Less than half of adults belong to a church or synagogue. You go, well, okay, that's been happening for a long time. Really, no, it hasn't. In the year 2000, at the turn of the century, 70% of adult men and women belonged to a church or synagogue. And that number pretty much stayed steady throughout the 1900s. And now it's down to less than 50%. So, you go, wow, that's really dismal. That is why you see John go, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as they were commanded by the Father. He doesn't just rejoice, he rejoices greatly. Oh, this is such good news. You go, why should this elicit such great joy? Because as we looked at in Sunday school, Satan is prowling around seeking whom he can destroy. He wants to destroy the church. This is no light thing. This is not just talking about, yeah, are you a Rangers fan? Are you a Twins fan? Should we go to Bryce Canyon or the Grand Canyon? It isn't a Republican or Democrat thing. Should we have two kids or 10 kids? It's not that kind of thing. This is heaven and hell. This is warfare. This is eternal joy with the living God versus eternal agony and condemnation separated from God. This is delight versus death. This is bliss before the glorious God 
who made us, or it is banishment into outer darkness. This is perfect fellowship with the triune God and with one another, or this is horrifying isolation. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Now, why isn't John sad about those who walked away? He's not dismissing that. It's not like he's rejoicing in those who walked away. But here's the deal. Death will come, and it's a grievous thing. And many will die and be condemned. Broad is the way of destruction. But in heaven, God will wipe away every tear from our eye. The joy of heaven is going to overwhelm the grief of the loss. How's that going to work? I don't know. Everybody destined to hell, everybody destined to hell savored something in this life more than they did their God and Savior. They savored something more than God. The past can't be changed for those who died. Many people who are still living drown in a tidal wave of regret and should-haves. This is satanic. This is demonic. God's justice is meted out either at the cross or in the eternal fires of hell, and that should cause the saint to be in awe and to rejoice in the salvation that is procured in Christ, and it should cause us to worship the God who orchestrated so great a salvation for us. And it should cause us to rejoice in the truth that there are men and women that we know who are walking with Christ. They are walking in the truth. They are walking in correspondence with reality. They are walking in accord with God and his word, just as they were commanded by the Father. They are really trusting in God. There are men and women who have gone out from this church and you're not in contact with them for years and years and then you hear from them or see a snippet on social media or get a letter or a card or a phone call. Does anybody do that anymore? Um, And you hear that their relationship with their wife is great and they are still serving the church and you rejoice with them. And you hear in their words their passion and their love for Jesus Christ. What a joy that is. Hard times, blood, sweat, tears, they are all worth it. So it must be for us a joy when we hear that someone still loves Jesus that they're still reaching into their community despite abuse, that they still love the Lord and endure the world. And that takes us to the second point. What is the evidence of this truth 
lived out. Jesus Christ called his disciples to love one another. What does John do? One of Jesus' disciples, he calls us to love one another. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And now, so at this point, Paul or John is getting down to business. And now, it's a transitional emphasis. We are getting to the heart of the matter. Dear lady, you see a relational emphasis here. This church is dear to him. The church is dear to him for all the saints. He writes to them, no new commandment. One which we have had from the beginning. When was that? Back to what we had read by Katie earlier. On the night before his execution, Jesus Christ says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment. But even that wasn't a new commandment. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, God in the law gave to Israel, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So was Jesus mistaken when he said a new commandment I give to you? Certainly not. The difference in those two commandments, Jesus gave them, love one another as I have loved you. Now, it's easy to love you as I want to love you to the limits of my ability, but God says, "Uh uh-uh. You are to love one another as I have loved you. How much is that? That is all of it. That is all of you. I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not God. We can't do that. We can only do that in Christ. We'll talk more about that here a little bit later. So let that pebble sit in your shoe. So this seems like a fairly basic exhortation. Love one another. Yeah, I got it. Why would you write that? Same reason, mom, when child goes out the door, be careful. Yeah, mom, I was going to juggle rattlesnakes. Really? No, no, be careful. Of course I'm going to be careful. Why does mom exhort the command to be careful? Because she was a child once. And she knows kids tend to do really foolish things. Hey, watch this. John knows that in our flesh, we're not going to want to sometimes love one another. He knows that this will wane. He knows that this will grow cold. Jesus Christ himself said this very thing. He gave this prophetic warning in Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 through 12. Jesus said, many will fall away and betray and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray 
And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. To fall away, you have to have first been apart. And many will fall away. In another last day's passage, Paul makes clear what gets in the way of my loving you. What gets in the way of your loving me? Paul writes Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. He says, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. You think that those things might get in the way of my loving you? If I'm arrogant, proud, boastful, if I'm seeking my own pleasures, absolutely, I'm not even going to see you. Me. This is a war. Satan wants us, wants to pick us off one by one, divide and conquer. Isolate the weak. He entices us to forsake the cold of our foxhole for the warm blankets and stew behind enemy lines. He distracts us in a moment, and soon we find ourselves distrusting our God and Savior. Rather than risking being bloodied for our brothers, we're searching for new ways to satisfy our sins. So we must be intentional. We must heed the command to love one another. But as I mentioned, this isn't just going to happen. It just doesn't pop. Oh, yeah, I love you. Now, this takes us to our final point, and that's love is obedience. It's not less than affection, but it is so very much more. Now, understand this, and, and Jeremy talked about this real well in Sunday school. If I say I love, or if I prophesy, if I preach, if I teach, but I don't love you, I'm a noise. I'm a very bad noise. It's like Katrina playing one chord and me playing another chord. You know, it's like, uh, put your capo on. That's wretched. Love is obedience. I saw a saint recently wearing a WWJD bracelet. Those were really in vogue about like 30 years ago, 20 years ago. But this was new. It had a hyphen. It said WWJD-HWLF. What's the addendum on this? He said, it's what would Jesus do? He would love first. Ah. Well, that sounds great. But what does that mean? He would love first. Well, what does the world think, think it means? The world would like you to set aside your convictions because those are harsh. Be affirming. 
Be kind. Be a friend. Love. If I do not look to the God who is love to comprehend love, I cannot extend love. If I do not look to the God who is love to comprehend love, I cannot give it. Sometimes love isn't affirmation, it is a rebuke. Love isn't always a dish of ice cream, but sometimes it's a measured swat on the seat of learning. Sometimes love isn't a hug, sometimes love is an amputation. I'm sorry, but your leg is going to kill you. It has to come off. But it's going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to hurt. But I won't get around. Yeah, you won't get around. Love isn't always on the negative. But if I am to love as Jesus loved, I must take my cues from God and his word, how I am to love my brother in particular situations. The the interconnectedness of loving God and loving our brothers, being seen in our obedience to his truth is the hallmark of John's first letter, 1 John. Truth, love, obedience. Truth, love, obedience. 1 John, These, these verses are from 1 John. Here, the echoing of truth, love, and obedience. 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. Chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because he loved the brothers. Chapter 3, verse 18. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And this is his commandment. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Last one. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he is he, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. When we come to this second letter here in Second John, John boldly states, this is love, that you walk according to his commandments. Well, love whom? Love God, yes. Love the brotherhood. Yes. Our love for God, though, has to have legs. To say I love God is a lie. To say I love God is a lie, a lie to myself, a lie to others, and certainly to God, 
When I do not exhibit that love in a trust that follows in willful obedience his right and proper commands to me. I'm lying. I cannot say I love God and then not trust him. I cannot say I love God and his promises to me when I toddle off and try to find my wholeness and satisfaction my wholeness and purpose in something else. My career, a new car, whatever your jam is, as they say today. I cannot say I love God, but ignore his loving voice directing me to live a life of wholeness by obediently following what he has asked of me. This is love. This is the commandment that you should walk in it, he continues that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you walk in it. What is it? Well, verse 5. The command we've had from the beginning, love one another. Verse 6. What is love? Walking according to his commandments. The end of verse 6. This is the commandment, we've had it from the beginning, that you should walk in it. What is it? Love one another. Obey his commandments. Yes. They are inextricably tied together. He had rejoiced to find that believers were walking in the truth. The evidence of that, thereby they are loving one another. The truth of the matter is that love, affection, seeking the best in others, serving my family and my church, seeking God's designs for me, is found only in a delighted and eager obeying of God's commandments. So how do I flesh this out? How do I order my whole life in accord with this? This is no new thing. If I love God, I love his word. If I love God, I love his word. I know his word. I feed on his word because it's his voice to me. When I exhale, I exhale his word. When I am compressed by the trials of life, I bleed his word. Therefore, to love my brother then, I treat him in accord with God's word. Do I steal from him that which is not mine? I think of that in relationships between men and women. Do I try to seduce the other that I might attain that which is not mine? Do I lie to you to prop myself up? Do I covet that which you have? Do I besmirch your successes because I'm only a lowly Do I kill you with hate in my heart? Do I have concern for my brother and sister's well-being? Do I spur them toward the cross? Am I willing to hear my brother's or sister's heartaches? Do I have time? I'm, 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 I'm busy. Or will I make time? 
Am I willing to hear ridicule from another because of my love for Jesus Christ? How fervent is my prayer for my brothers and sisters in the church or those who I know? Am I involved in your life enough to see that there is weakness and bolster that up? Do I love you enough to rebuke you? This is no easy thing. I told you before, I can't do this. Why? Because I'm a scorekeeper. Do you know what I've invested? Well, where's the, where's the back scratch? What are you going to do your part in this? We are great scorekeepers. Have you come up to my level yet? Well, really, have I come up to yours? I will perennially believe that I have invested more than you have. We want our due. Our pride gets in the way. Our time gets in the way. Our leisure gets in the way. Our money gets in the way. This is why John gives his command. Again, that we love one another. Only in Christ can I do this thing. Only by the power of Christ can I love as he has loved me. He says, love as I have loved you. But he also says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and I in you. My word abides in you. You will bear much fruit. What is the fruit of the spirit? What is the first one? Love. If we abide in him, his love abides in us and is perfected. In his power alone can we love one another and thereby the world will know that we are his disciples. Now, saint people are going to leave the church. People will leave this church. And I want to say I don't give a rip about people staying in this church. I do. But God forbid that any pastor placed some kind of macabre Machiavellian pressure upon the saints to stay here, stay in this church, stay in a church. I'm not going to hold you artificially to this church or to another church. That's the stuff of nightmares. That's the stuff of bad movies. Many are destined to leave the church. That is true. But Christ said he came to build his church. In the church of God, we find a love and fellowship that is uncommon in this world. They will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let us strive. Let us bring joy to the Father and to one another as we seek to live the truth in our love for God and our love for one another. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you have opened our eyes to the truth, that you have given us your word, that we might understand the truth. We give you thanks that you have built the body, you have constructed the body as you have seen fit. And so God, let us not be 
sounding gongs or clanging cymbals, but let us love one another. Let us serve you. Let us delight in our service to you. Let us serve and delight in one another. O God, guard your church. Protect your church. Build up, even now, the churches across this community that are proclaiming the gospel with clarity and with truth. O God, burden their hearts to love one another that we might shine in this dark day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.